0: This morning I get to talk about the most uncomfortable preacher topic that there is. Like of all the spectrum of preacher topics, you know, the uncomfortable things are like sex. The Song of Solomon talks about it, but preachers rarely ever do. And then you have hell. And then somewhere in that list is money. No one likes when the preacher talks about money. But the thing is, Jesus talked about money a lot. Pretty much as much as he talked about heaven and hell, he talked about money. Because Jesus knew one thing. He knew that the way we operate with money represented the condition of our heart. And so when he talked to the Pharisees or when he talked to the tax collectors, he says, Listen, what you do with money is representation of what you do with your heart. I heard a story about a farmer several hundred years ago who lived in India. And he had a nice farm, lots of acres of land, uh, he had animals to tend his farm. he had plenty of food for his family, he had uh, uh, you know children and and he had a nice house i mean I mean by, by that time standards, this man was rich until a traveler came along one day as explaining that over in Africa, people were discovering diamonds and, and getting filthy rich. So this farmer in India, he sold all of his land and property to finance an expedition to go to Africa and look for diamonds. He sold all of his land and property and he let his family live with one of his neighbors and left his family to go on an expedition. And after all these years of looking for diamonds and after all his money was spent, He stood atop of a bridge, realizing he'd lost everything in his life and never replaced it. And he, he threw himself over that bridge and ended his life. Meanwhile, a man who bought his property was out taking some animals down to the stream to get them some water. And his foot stumbled upon a large rock. He thought it was rather unique, so he picked it up and brought it home, placed it on his mantle inside. One day a friend was over who was a a, a traveled and intellectual man and told the man who bought the farm, he said, this is one of the largest diamonds I've ever seen in my entire life. Now this man just thought it was a pretty rock from the creek, you know. It turns out that the man who bought his farm found out that his land set atop the Golconda diamond mine in India. One of the largest ever discovered In the world. All along the farmer who sold his land had acres and acres of blessings right beneath his feet. But he was searching for something that never could be found. You see a lot of us would love to have a different lifestyle. We would love to have different financial condition. But all along God has already given us unlimited blessings right where we stand. I want us to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 this morning. And I've titled this message, Unlimited Blessings. What the New Testament says about giving. Now I want to go ahead and tell you up front, half of you guys ain't going to agree with me today. That's all right. I'm used to it by now. Y'all are going to send me an onslaught of emails on Monday text messages, I'm going to have meetings with people, on and on and on. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that I'm not giving you a preacher's opinion. I'm giving you what the New Testament says. I'm giving you what the Bible says. And so the subtitle of my message is what the New Testament says about money and giving. In 1 Corinthians 16, I'm in 1 Chronicles. Let me turn over to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 16, let's look at verse 1. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come... Whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Once again, I want to read verse 2. On the first day of the week, letting each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. My first point about what the New Testament says about giving is that if you make more, you should give more. I want us to know that from the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Christians were trying to figure out how the system of offerings and how the system of giving would work in a context where there was no longer a functional temple for the offerings to be received. Now, in the Old Testament, the command... To give 10% of your harvest was directed to farmers. It was not directed to bankers. It was not directed to um, um, politicians. It was not directed to lawyers. It was a command to give 10% of your harvest and the first of animals. Because Jerusalem was an agrarian society. And praise God it worked very well. There was never a command on Jerusalem that they were to give something every week. Never was the Jews thought that every week I had to bring 10%. You see what I'm saying? When you harvest corn, you don't harvest corn 52 weeks a year. You don't harvest corn 12 times a year. If you do well, you're going to harvest corn at one big time a year. And when you harvest corn at one big time a year, you take take 10% of that harvest. So now, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Now in the New Testament, first of all, many uh, um, Christians aren't farmers. They are, you know, fishermen. They are carpenters. I don't know about you, but I would not want to bring 10% of the fish up to the temple. Man, that'd be smelly and stinky by the time you got there. That was a long day's walk. And also in the New Testament, the Christians weren't operating in the context of the temple. They weren't meeting in the temple. They weren't going to the temple. They weren't even taking their offerings to the temple. Matter of fact, they had nowhere to take their offerings. There wasn't even an Old Testament instruction about what to do with money. The Old Testament instructions referred to harvests and livestock. So here we find in the New Testament, Paul's giving instruction on money. This is something significant. We should take note about this. And he says, each person should lay something aside as he has prospered. The NIV says, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So let me tell you, if someone's a widow who's on a fixed income, who's barely making their mortgage payment, that widow doesn't have to give 10%. Now, y'all might disagree with me. But let me tell you, the purpose of the church in the New Testament was not so the widows would fund it, but so the church would take care of the widows. All right? The purpose of giving wasn't so every single person gave 10%. It was so that the ones who were in need could be helped and the ones who had could be the helpers. So he's saying, listen, if you're, if you're struggling financially, then give what you can. There was not a percentage in the new testament that was attached towards your offerings but he also said this in keeping with your income if you make a lot you should give a lot you see you see now now, now here's the fun thing about okay if if we're going to carry over an, an agrarian system into the new testament then then hey hey 10% is 10% whether i make you know 10,000 or 100,000 or a million and that's good for a rich person. Because basically you're giving the same thing. I mean, if I'm living on 25,000 and giving 10%, then whenever I'm living on 250,000, let me tell you that 25,000 don't hurt. You see what I'm saying? And be honest with you, that's not a sacrifice. <laughs> when a rich person gives 10%, it is not a sacrifice. It's simply it's like church taxes. You see what I'm saying? Like the government. Oh, it's just automatic withdrawal. But this is not what Paul is saying. He says, listen, if God has blessed you, be a blessing to somebody. Bless the kingdom. Because there was no structure for Paul to get paid. Paul didn't have the, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, matter of fact, they don't even get paid through the Southern Baptist Convention, so that doesn't even matter. Paul didn't have any of that stuff. He says, listen, there's people out there doing the ministry. There's churches. There's apostles in Jerusalem. And here's the plan. Here's the plan. Let each person give according to how they've been blessed. You know, I was recently reading a study in Philanthropy Magazine, and it found that people do not give in accordance with their income. What they found is that middle-class families give more of a percentage than upper-class individuals. Families with a combined household income of $50,000 to $75,000 gave 7.6 of their income to charity, while those who made over $100,000 gave 4.2%. What studies have shown is that the more people make, actually the less they give. This is opposite of the New Testament context. In a New Testament context, the more God has blessed you, the more we should be able to give. Most of us here qualify as rich by the world's standards. If we looked at one-third of the world, one-third of the world, roughly two billion people, lives on $2 a day. Another one-third lives on $1 a day. The average Haitian lives on less than $1 a day. Most of us think that the 1% of the rich are the ones that live on 5th Avenue in New York. That might be true for America. But honestly, according to the world standards, every single one of us is in the 10%. We're all 10%ers. If we have a bank account with anything, we're a 10%er. You're doing better than the average African, the average Indian, the average Haitian, the average uh, Chinaman who farms rice paddies just so he can feed his family. We're doing better, amen? I mean, I'm glad to be here, aren't you? I can go right now to McDonald's and get a, a, a you know a big old fry and a, a Coke Zero. It's not necessarily beneficial, but I can if I want to. <laughs> you know, I wish all of us could take a trip to Haiti Because to the Haitians, you're like Bill Gates. I mean, literally, we're like superstars to the Haitian people. And all we come down there is like with book bags and shoes. Man, they're like, you got shoes? That's awesome. You know? (laughs) A few weeks ago, my wife and I had the privilege of sitting down to go over the budget this year. And we talked about what are our financial goals for the year. I had one goal. And that was for our family to give more to the church. Now, that was not precipitated by an income increase. I did not give because my income got, uh, became bigger. But simply because I want to give more to the Lord. And therefore, if I have to cut other things out, we've already cut out cable te- television. We cut out gym membership. All those things so that, so that the Lord can receive more for His work. What happens is, once you set your goal for giving to the church first, once that becomes your priority, then everything else will fall around it. Amen? Now I want us to turn next to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Apostle Paul, again, talking to the church in Corinth, says this, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reach bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work." You know what the New Testament tells us? There's not a requirement placed on your giving. Paul never tells the church what percentage they should give. He never says you should give this percent. He says, give what you want to give. You see, we ask the question, how much should I give? But the question is, how much do you want to? You see, if we're looking for law, we're not looking for the new covenant reality that we have freedom in worship. We're still trying to bind our new covenant freedom under old covenant uh, regulation. And so in the New Testament, there's not a amount, there's not a percentage. It simply says, how much do you want to give? I remember one time I sat down with Bella, and I gave her $3 for allowance for a week. It's just kind of an illustration. I said, Bella, how much do you want to give to the black pot? She said, all of it. thought that was a pretty good idea. What a a great way for a little child to celebrate. Hey, this is what I got. This is what I want to give. Nowhere in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, are we given an instruction on how much. We're not given an amount, but an attitude. And the attitude is cheerfully give. If we can give $2, cheerfully give it. If we can give $2,000, cheerfully give $2,000. In 1731, there was a young preacher who was entering the ministry in England. He made a salary of about 30 pounds a year. That was roughly equivalent to about $27,000. At this time, he was not even able to meet the basic uh, uh, needs of his income. He couldn't give 10% nor that he wanted to. But he had to live on on 28 pounds out of that 30. So he could only give 2 pounds, which is around 8%. But he lived on 28 pounds. And within a few, few years, his income had doubled to 60 pounds, roughly about 50,000 a year. Probably at that time, the average working salary, 60 pounds of a man in England. But the thing is, he still lived on 28 pounds. So now he was given 32 pounds to the church. Within a few years... He began writing books, and the proceeds from his book sales increased his annual salary to 120 pounds, roughly $100,000. Now, that's not an astronomical for, for people in our, our, our community. But the thing is, he was still living on 28 pounds and giving the rest to the Lord. During his ministry, his salary literally increased over tenfold, and by the end of his ministry, he was making 1,400 pounds a year. That's roughly equivalent to $1 million a year. But do you know how much he needed to live on? 28 pounds. Actually, the English government thought that he, he must have been evading the tax purposes or that he would have had some, some special silverware that should have been taxed. The English actually taxed how much silverware you had. That's why we left and came over here, amen. So they went to his house and found out that all he had was two silver spoons. (laughs) He said, I have two silver spoons and nothing in my pocket. It's all given away. This guy was named John Wesley. And when he died, all he had was his books and two silver spoons. John Wesley is famous for being a reverse tither He lived on less than 10% and gave away the rest. Before he died, he's quoted as saying, having first gained all you can and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. He's living proof of that. And Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians that each of us should give what we've decided to give. And that means there should be a decision. And so I want to talk to the men of the church for a moment. That men in your home... You should be involved in this process of leadership. Maybe your wife takes care of the bills and the budget, and that's fine. But when it comes to giving to the church, men should be spiritual leaders. If your family gives with a check, then men should give with a check. If you end up giving online, then men, I hope you would go online. If you give with your phone, men, I hope you would give you your phone. We are charged with leading the spiritual direction of our family. And our offerings are a testimony to the joy of our salvation. Our children should know that, that we as men don't, don't shirk back from the spiritual duties when it comes to one of the most important things, which is what we do with our finances. Our children should see that men are taking the lead in that area as well. The last thing I want us to know comes from the book of Philippians A few books over in the New Testament. Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4. I've saved really good news for last because everyone looks aggravated and bitter today. (laughs) Let me tell you if I die tomorrow, you still better give to the Lord. All right? I don't care if you leave churches, you get bad. Because I wore a Superman belt buckle last week, you don't think a preacher should do that? You go to another church, you better give there. Because the world needs Christians, the world needs the gospel. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin today in verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only for even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account indeed I have all and abound I am full Paul saying listen I don't need any of your giving Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus by glory. Now to God our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's what the last thing I want you to know. What you place in God's hands will never be touched by the devil. What you place in God's hand can never be touched by the devil. On October 24th, 1929, there were 13 million shares of stock sold that day. This event is commonly referred to as Black Thursday. The bubble of the American economy was about to burst. And just a few days later, the stock market had lost 40% of its value resulting in the great stock market crash of 1929. Now, most of us learned about that in history in high school. And we thought, that could never happen again. Surely the government's smarter than this. Surely the economists are smarter than this. Surely the Dow Jones and, and the, and the stockbrokers are smarter than this. Well, in 2008, the Dow Jones began plummeting. And after a six-month period of time, had lost 50% of its value. Meaning that the stock market crash of 2008 and nine was larger than the crash of 1929. How in the world is that possible? People lost half of their life savings. Literally millions and billions of dollars lost. Now, for some, it could take 10 or 20 years to regain what they had invested, but many people still remain skeptical about the stock market. But let's take a figurative example. Let's say in 2008, someone gave $10,000 to the stock market. And also in 2008, someone gave $10,000 to their church. Now, you may say, how much that went to their church did they lose? The answer is none of it, because what's given to the Lord is never a loss, but a gain. Amen. You see, the other lost 50%, $5,000 in value. But what's given to the Lord, even though it comes out of our pocket, lasts forever. You see, if what comes out of our hand is really not what we make, then by those standards, I've never made anything. Every penny I make comes home to my wife, and I get about 20 bucks a week to eat. That's about one Chick-fil-A on Wednesday, one Bojangles breakfast on Thursday. Uh, maybe someone meets up with me during the week, and I'm, I'm tapped out. How much did I gain? Well, I gained uh, uh, my little girl getting some shoes. I gained my little boy getting some diapers. I gained my wife getting some shampoos so her hair can be shiny and sultry. But how much went into my pocket? Very, very little. Everything else left. It it went to something else. You see, we have to remove the mentality that what comes out of our pocket and goes to, to the church is something we lack. No, my friend, the reality is that what goes to God's ministry lasts forever. It can never be touched by the devil. It can never be touched by the economy. Apostle Paul tells us that what is given to the ministry becomes a fragrant offering to the Lord, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Once that money leaves your hand, it's not money anymore. It becomes translated into an offering of worship. It becomes translated into the currency of heaven. Do you know in heaven, they don't pass around gold coins? They use them for pavement. They use the valuable stuff for pavement. What becomes... Um, um, valuable in heaven is worship once money leaves our hand it gets translated to the currency of worship you see we won't see our 401k we won't see our house in heaven we won't see our clothes but we will see what has been given to the Lord's work translated into the currency of worship in souls who will last forever alright I promised the church on Wednesday I'm going to give away some money See, I'm not just a stingy preacher. I'm a happy preacher. So who wants some money today? All right, I saw Kathy, and I saw Melanie, okay? This one's marked 25, okay? This one's marked 50. I want you to look in your envelopes, please. You see money there? What is it? Is Haitian money. I promised I was going to give money out. But you see, this currency is not valuable here. It's only valuable in another place, another country, once it's become translated and used. Folks, you know why the riches of this world become pavement in heaven Because it's not valuable there. It's only valuable once it's translated into the currency of that kingdom. And that currency is worship. You know, whenever we give money to Pastor Enoch, it's translated into that currency, the Haitian dollar, that is used there. The money is not valuable here. It's only valuable over there. When you give to the church, what you give becomes something more valuable than what you held in your hand. Man, if we could only see the invisible kingdom of God around us and at work within the people who are being discipled here, if we could only see the ministries all across this earth that would be touched from young children and young preachers and young college students who are raised up within the walls of the church in the preaching of this word, how much more would we be willing to give to a kingdom that lasts forever? Over and over again, the New Testament tells us that when we give to the church, that God helps meet our needs. However, we're never told that God helps meet our wants like some preachers today. Man, I'm sure we could raise a lot of money if I said, hey, if you give to the Lord, God's going to make you rich. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Then, then God just becomes a Ponzi scheme. If I'm going to give to the Lord just to get rich, then he's simply like my stockbroker. <laughs> and he doesn't even do very well. But God says, not that he'll make you rich, but he'll meet your needs. He'll meet your needs. The Christian doesn't give to get rich. The Christian gives because he is rich. Riches are a mindset, not a bank account. You see, folks, it don't matter if you have $50, if you have $50,000. Those diamonds are already there. And what we bless the Lord with, what we bless the ministry with, You are rich. No matter how much, you are rich. That's what we need to focus on. That when we give, it becomes an accepting sacrifice to God. A thankful act of worship for what he has done in Jesus Christ. Someone asked John Wesley, why do you give away all your income? And he responded with this story. He said when he was in school at Oxford... He had saved some money to get some pictures for his wall. One day while walking to class, he saw a young lady who had a linen shirt without a coat outside it. It was freezing. He reached in his pocket to give her some money, realizing that he had spent his money on decorations for his room. And he thought to himself, you fool, that you have spent your earnings to adorn your walls when you could have adorned the poor. And he resolved that day, to live on as little as he could so that he could give all that he could. One of his lasting quotes is this, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to give as much as I can in as many ways as I can to see it translated into an eternal currency. Let's pray. Father, I...